Welcome to the Men at Work podcast. We are in season three. This is episode number five, and I am your host, Travis Streb. Today we are talking about porn. Yes, that's right. This episode's all about pornography, and I've got an incredible guest. His name is Noah Church. He is the author of Whack, Addicted to Internet Porn. He also runs a very popular website called addictedtointernetporn.com where he helps men uh, and their partners and others to recover from porn addiction. Uh, Noah's own story around pornography is fascinating, terrifying, and it ends in a beautiful way. And this episode, I mean, it's all about porn, but we talk really about the impact of porn on the lives of men and, and their families. We talk about porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Uh, we talk about cheating. Like how is how is pornography related to cheating? We talk about porn and isolation, the addiction cycle of pornography, and of course, all of Noah's great work he's doing to help people recover from whatever phase of porn addiction they happen to be in. We take a few left turns as usual in this episode. I'm going to leave it for you to listen to and enjoy. So let's go ahead and get started with episode number five. All right. So Noah, man, it's so good to have you on the show. We got introduced through, uh, through Luke Depron talking about, um, you know, men's health and wellness. And now we get to spend some time talking about men and pornography. Which... Hey, Travis, I'm happy to be here. And that's a topic that I think we should all be talking about a little bit more. Well, you know, I, I love that about you because you're very uh, unapologetic about like, we need to start surfacing this thing because there's there's a reason that whenever you search anything in Google that could remotely be taboo, the first results that show up are usually from Pornhub. Um, and so <laughs> yeah, even one of the most visited websites in the world, absolutely. Well, even me Googling, Googling and looking for you, it's like you, I get this, uh, this, you know, your site, which is around helping men recover from porn addiction or helping them identify it versus the whole bunch of different feeds. I mean, I could have been in, in the land of pornography in about eight seconds. Um, yeah. Even the name of my website, addicted to internet porn. If you type in just addicted to porn instead, at least the last time I did, you'd see pornographic images, unfortunately. The <laughs> <laughs> wild irony of the, of the work you do, but why don't we, why don't we start by, by, talking a little bit about your story. I, I the, the video you made in 2014 was, um, it was beautiful, man. I really loved how open you were about it. And maybe you can give this audience just the, um, the Coles notes of that story um, around your own journey with addiction to porn. Yeah, I'll give you the bare bones. And if you want to dive into any part of it more deeply, you can let me know. And one reason I think it's so important for us to be having these conversations is because until I came out and started talking about this to everybody, I didn't talk about it to anybody, including you know all the people who are most close to me. And that was very much to my detriment. So I'm 31 now, which means that I was growing up in the 90s and I was among that first generation where it was becoming common to have a computer in the home, internet connection in the home. And of course it was dial up back then. I remember it well, those noises, <laughs> the noises before you get to the porn. Yeah. <laughs> and I was always uh, kind of a sexual kid. I always had fantasy as a fantasy life. 
um, you know, masturbating, which is normal and healthy. But around when I was probably nine years old, I got that bright idea that a lot of us get at some point that, hey, there's probably pictures of pretty ladies on the internet. Let's do some Googling. And I got that and much more that I never could have imagined. And I was probably hooked from that first time, just that rush of, you know, actually seeing these images for the first time in my life and never, I mean, at nine years old, never really having real romantic experiences before. That's what I sort of became bonded to. And I started using it whenever I could. And of course that got more frequent when I got a computer in my own room, probably age 12 or 13. And by the time I was 13, I was, you know, downloading content whenever I could. I was searching for it. There wasn't the streaming websites available that there are now. I don't think, yeah, YouTube wasn't even available at that time, but I was getting it however I could and had escalated fairly quickly looking back. You know, at first, just a picture of a pretty lady, not even fully naked was more than enough to get me extremely excited. But looking back, I can see that within a couple of years, I had escalated to content that was, you know, borderline illegal, extreme. And even though I was disgusted at first when I would see these things, I was becoming desensitized mm. and needed to seek out more extreme or explicit or shocking content in order to get that same feeling of arousal. Even if that arousal was now tinged with like, this feels wrong, what am I doing? And now looking back and having worked with hundreds of clients who've been through this process, I can see that this is extremely common and that people when faced with that, unlimited supply of unlimited variety of sexual content, they don't get bored. They get bored by a certain genre or a certain type of image, and then they move on and find something new. And the people who run these websites know this too. That's why when you go to a front page, there's, there's not just, you know, vanilla sex on the front, there's every single kind of thing you could imagine. And in the sidebar, it's like, oh, there's something new. I've never seen that before. I never even thought about that before. But uh, back in the 90s and the early 2000s, I you know, was one of the people being experimented on, you know, the great global porn experiment, what happens when we expose everyone to an unlimited amount of pornographic content. And what happened to me was by the time I was 18 and in a real relationship for the first time and felt like I was in love and wanted to have sex for the first time, that my body wasn't responding, even though I was very attracted to my girlfriend. I thought she was beautiful. We were naked in the bed together and my body just wasn't working like it should. And I was very confused about it. I felt uh, ashamed and confused and broken and unable to really talk about it or address it because I didn't know what was going on. Like this had been something I'd been looking forward to experiencing for literally my entire life. And now that it was here, I just felt this strange disconnect between my mind and my body. And I remember like going home and testing myself with pornography and boom, boom, like, of course it worked and tried with her uh, many times. And sometimes I would think, well, maybe it's just because I've, I masturbate too frequently. So I'll, I'll give it a break for a couple of weeks and we'll try it again. And that didn't seem to help either. And it got to the point where I just remember like driving home from her house after another failed attempt and just like beating on the steering wheel and shouting in my car, just so frustrated and so feeling so broken. And it infected the joy that we had in that relationship because I couldn't be around her without thinking about that. So I ended up 
ending that relationship and unfortunately repeating that cycle quite a few times over the next few years because at that time when I was searching for answers like what could be going on here there weren't the resources that are available now and the answers I was seeing and these were just from internet searches I was too embarrassed I think to actually talk to anybody about it in my life even a doctor because I could see that there wasn't really a physical problem because it worked just fine when I was using pornography so I figured and that's what the internet was telling me was that it must be psychological. I just was anxious or not used to being sexual with another person. So I figured maybe she and I weren't right for each other. Maybe I wasn't really attracted to her after all. Maybe it'll work with somebody else, but it didn't. And over the next six years, I repeated that cycle, lost a lot of good relationships, probably hurt a lot of good women uh, because I didn't know what was going on with me and couldn't talk about it. And maybe they, internalized themselves and thought that you know they weren't good enough or attractive enough I don't know I've heard that a lot from women now that I work with clients who are saying you know my husband doesn't want to make love to me my, my boyfriend's no longer interested in sex with me is it me like is there something wrong with me how can I compete with all these hundreds of uh, gorgeous women that he's looking at on the computer and yeah it breaks my heart knowing that some of those women probably thought the same with me but it wasn't until 2014 at the very beginning of that year that I, I searched again for answers and this time I found something that actually helped me which was uh, the TED talk the great porn experiment by Gary Wilson and mm. which he talked about the rise of youthful erectile dysfunction among men who had been consistent users of pornography and specifically internet pornography saying that the conditioning to the screen and to you know this voyeuristic content and that desensitization that happens when they are you know, masturbating and sexually stimulating themselves far more than they would without the presence of that internet pornography was making them get to the point where when they were naked in bed with someone they were attracted to that just wasn't enough stimulus to break through that desensitization and and provoke that physical arousal. And of course, <laughs> everything he was saying was like, yes, 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 this is exactly what I've experienced. And he said, you know, men are experimenting with leaving behind pornography and in masturbation too, at least in the short term, and seeing if they can heal from this and that people were finding success with that, but that it wasn't just taking one or two weeks. And that's what I thought, you know, back when I was a teenager that, oh, if I mas don't masturbate for one or two weeks, surely that's all I would need to, if that was really the cause. But no, these guys were taking months or even close to a year or more to heal. And that's because it's not just, you know, that we have to get over that refractory period, that period after orgasm in which you might have less libido than usual. It's that our brains have to let go of that wiring to pornography, resensitize and then become more open to the experience of intimacy between two people. And this is especially true for people like myself who had never had successful sexual intimacy. It's like there's someone who's eating candy and junk food every day uh, for years with never like any whole natural foods. And then they try an apple and it tastes like nothing. There's like no sweetness to it at all because they're desensitized. But 
someone who's had apples before they went through that process will remember what they tasted like and like be able to regain their hunger for whole natural foods more quickly than someone like myself who had never had an apple metaphorically speaking in my life and uh, it just felt like a completely alien experience and so as soon as I learned all this information I saw clear as day my path forward was a porn-free path and I committed to never watching porn again and at that same time I was just starting to get to know someone new and we were starting to date and have a relationship and she was the first person I ever told about this and she took it quite well and we started a relationship and I was able to have successful sex for the first time uh, 74 days after quitting porn and it wasn't you know, everything that I thought it should be at that point I was still in the healing process and it took me more like eight or nine months to really get to the point where I felt like okay I feel fully healed and this is what sex should really feel like and I did not keep my commitment to never watch porn again because I was underestimating the power of my addiction to porn. Mm. And you know, I didn't want to admit to myself that I was an addict. The image I had of an addict was someone uh, you know, living on the streets who had destroyed their life, who was um, unable to maintain a job or go to school. And I was always good in school and I was you know, achieving in my life, but I was what we call a functional addict. You know, my life hadn't fallen apart completely, but I was an addict. And what addiction means is simply that, you know, it usually starts with something that's pleasurable or exciting. Over time, it becomes also an emotional coping mechanism. And it certainly had for me, like if I was lonely or depressed or stressed out, I could just turn on some porn and forget about all that for a while, sweep everything out of my brain. And it wouldn't actually solve my problems, of course. It usually made my problems worse because now I was stressed out about my upcoming deadline and I just wasted three hours watching porn. But in that moment, it would sweep all that away. And the real hallmark of addiction is that once you realize it's harmful for you and commit to yourself, promise yourself that you're going to stop or reduce your use, that you find yourself unable to keep those commitments to yourself. And that's what I was discovering after I relapsed for the first time after about nine months and then struggled for about a year to maintain my sobriety before learning everything that I needed to know to become more permanently porn free. And this, this whole journey had changed my life so much. And, you know, it's like looking back in that moment, you know, living as a teenager, as a young person using pornography consistently, I couldn't really see the effect it was having on me. I needed a wider perspective for that. And looking back, I can see that it affected not only my relationships and my you know, sexual interactions, but every aspect of my life. And quitting at first was about regaining my erections, but the differences I saw in my life were much more profound than that. I found that my ability just to be in the present moment and enjoy my life and be engaged with my life was returning. I wasn't as distracted as, uh, as caught in fantasy or thinking about the past or the future. My ability to just feel was returning. I hadn't cried. I think I maybe cried once or twice in the past 15 years at that point. But once I quit pornography, I you know, rediscovered my ability to actually cry and I learned that it was because when we desensitize that part of ourself, that reward center in the brain that, you know, 
when we see something that we want, like a piece of chocolate cake or an attractive mate, there's a release of dopamine and we feel desire. And when we overuse that part of ourselves with a super stimulus, like internet pornography, something that's more stimulating than anything we would find in nature, we desensitize ourselves not only to sexual stimuli, but to everything. And I found myself much more motivated and ambitious and energetic. And I was getting better sleep and needing less sleep. And you know, this is a, a podcast for busy professionals. So if that's something that you struggle with out there and you're listening to this and you're a frequent pornography user, maybe that's something to experiment with. But yeah, this whole experience changed my life so much that I knew I couldn't just keep it to myself. I wanted others who were searching for answers like I had been searching for answers for so long to actually find information that would help them and not be misled. So I shared my story. I wrote a book, a whack addicted to internet porn. And later in that year, I did that talk in 2014 at the mystery box, which was a storytelling event about sex and sexuality. And so I gave that talk and I think that's still my most viewed video on my YouTube channel and uh, just telling my story like I have just now. And there are a lot of people out there who have faced similar experiences and I've been hearing from them and working with them ever since because I became a recovery coach. And that's what I spend most of my time doing now is working with people one-on-one -on -one and in groups who are recovering from what we call porn-induced sexual dysfunctions and also porn addiction. Yeah, man. I mean, that video, I was actually shocked when I realized the timeline of it. This is the mystery box one, mm -hmm. because you more or less, at least from, you know, the outside of you, you more or less went on stage at the moment of your rebirth um, or your exit from, from addiction and told the story uh, instead of kind of waiting, you know, and polishing up your Ted talk or whatever it may be. And I thought it was a real act of bravery you know, in my opinion, to see that and to realize like, well, this guy's, this isn't like 10 years later, this is like months. And, and still uh, in it. Cause around that same time I relapsed for the first time and then struggled off and on for another year. It's just a story that doesn't, um, I think it's common, doesn't get told that often. And what I, what I loved and what I was heartened by was to see and, and, you know, still even just looking on your newer YouTube videos, the comments from people, from men, women, from whatever, you know, whoever they identify with, just relating so much to you and your story. And I mean, there's parts of your story that I relate to totally. I mean, I remember the, you know, Netscape and like waiting 20 minutes for, you know, 300 kilobyte image to download and just that access I've got a few years on you. So, you know, I had dial up for a little longer, but yeah, I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know if you're wanting to share your personal story about this, but I'd be interested to hear if any of this resonates with you or if you've seen similar effects in your life. It resonates with me in, in some ways, just the idea that it was so accessible, like just readily you log into the computer. It doesn't matter how old you are. You know, I think I would have been in like grade six or something. Yeah. But that idea that you can just go and get your fix. And so much more so now, at least back when I was starting, I had to wait like a day for a video to download. Now kids, especially those with smartphones or tablets that are unprotected can have unlimited access to the most you know, deviant sexual imagery available. 
and I'm not one to shame any sexual kink or desire, but when a 10 year old, the first thing he sees is like a gangbang or women being choked out or gagged with penis, then that is changing the sexual template of our young people. And we've seen that in, we've seen the consequences of that as, you know, young, young girls, teenage girls are saying, well, I've tried to have, I was having sex for the first time with my boyfriend and he put his hands around my throat and was choking me because that's what he has been taught by pornography is normal is what sex looks like. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and the accessibility of it is, I mean, everyone's got a smartphone. I've got, I got two kids. I got two girls, a 13 or a 14 year old and a nine year old, and they both have phones and they're able to access whatever. Um, but that's it. I think the, the piece that, that hit for me was seeing the similarities um, I did not hit a place where I felt like I got addicted, but I hit a place where I felt like this is not good. Like the kind of porn, I don't think it was porn hub, but just, it was some video site and it's like, whoa, this is like, this is not good for me. This is not going to be good for my relationships. And I, I'm, I'm very grateful that I had that level of awareness and didn't have the addictive tendencies around it, but I could see how that would be so easy. I think one of the things that occurred to me as you were talking and I was telling your story, which I've you know, now heard for the, for the second time, but is this idea that pornography is for the lonely nerd who you know, doesn't, isn't able to have a relationship. And that, that myth for me was, I was like, oh, that's what it is. It's about people that are lonely, men, men who are lonely, but getting involved in, in men's work and, and leading men's work and in my coaching work, that it's ubiquitous. Like this is not for just lonely people. This porn addiction is for people that, you know, they're, they're in beautiful partnerships or, you know, married to or with incredibly attractive people or, and it's, I mean, there's a, there's a, there are, a large group of men in the, in one of the groups I'm in right now that are committed to a 45 day container of no porn and no ejaculation. And I was amazed at how many people were like, Oh, I, I have to sign up for that. So you're, I mean, it's, it might, I mean, I don't know how, how, what's your experience? Like, is it, is it as common as I'm making it up to be? Well, certainly pornography use is very common and just the accessibility factor. My, my father's day, you would have to go down to the store and like show your face. And that's can be an embarrassing experience in itself if you're not used to that. And then spend your money to purchase, you know, a magazine or a video. And now from a young age, all it takes is a few swipes. And sometimes it's not even intentional. A lot of people's first exposure to porn is accidental or a friend shows them something. It's just unavoidable. And it's no longer about if like your child is going to see pornography, it's will win and Will they be prepared? Will they be educated to know what to do with that? Um, according to a couple of different studies, the average age of first exposure is either 11 or 13. And um, 80%, 87% of male college students are regular users, according to another study, and 31% of female college students. Another shows that uh, among 1,600 Italian high school students, Boys and girls, 78% of them consume pornography, 22% of them describe their porn use as habitual, and another 9% describe it as a kind of addiction. So that's almost one in 10 
high school students, boys and girls who think that they're addicted to porn. So yeah, it is, it is very common and loneliness is certainly a factor. It can drive people to pornography. A lot of people might use porn more when they're single, for example, than when they're in a relationship. But once you are really addicted, it's no longer about um, just like finding the right person and that's going to solve your use of pornography. I work with guys who are married to their 10 out of 10 partner. There's no other woman in the world I'd rather be with, but I can't have sex with her and all I want is pornography. And, and so you, and you talked about your own experience with, you, you talked about like a pornography induced sexual dysfunction. Mm-hmm. Can you say a bit more about that? Cause I, I, and maybe the more subtle versions, cause for you, it's felt like it was overt. At least it's like, Hey, I have yeah. erectile dysfunction as an 18 year old. Whereas someone who's, you know, maybe in a, an established partnership may not even recognize the signs. Yeah. There are varying stages of sexual dysfunction. And I had the more severe form where it just like wasn't working at all. And I wasn't able to have sex at all. And, and we know from you know, around the year 2000 rates of youthful ED like that were two to 5%, depending on the study you looked at. And now rates are anywhere from 14 to 33% for men, 18 to 40 having so this erectile is so, dysfunction with sex. So young, young men with erectile yeah. dysfunction. And so what was the percentage? It's 18%. 13 to 13. Thir- or 14 to 33%, depending on the study that you look at. So wow. on the higher end, a third of young men struggling to maintain an erection for real sex. And like you said, it's not to the severe level that it was with me, with every one of those people who are experiencing some level of ED. For some, it might just be like, oh, I, I have difficulty maintaining my erection sometimes. I lose it sometimes. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. For some people, it might be, well, I can get erect and stay erect, but it's really hard for me to reach an orgasm with a partner. And, you know, among just like friends that I know whom I've talked to about this since I started this whole journey, uh, many of them have decided, okay, well, I don't think I'm really addicted to it, but I'm going to give it a shot, you know, 45 days, a few months without porn and see how it affects me in various ways. And most of them say like, actually, I'm a lot more passionate, like in the bedroom with my girlfriend and sex actually feels quite a lot better now. And so even if you don't have the severe form of porn-induced sexual dysfunction, you might experiment with abstaining from porn for a while and see how it affects you. And I will give one, one warning, which is that you can't really expect everything to just get better and keep getting better as soon as you quit pornography. If you're a long-term consistent user or addicted, then things might get worse before they get better. And recovery is very much an up and down, non-linear um, journey. And there are withdrawal symptoms associated with quitting pornography. And these aren't, you know, withdrawal symptoms that will kill you like alcohol withdrawal might, but they can be very unpleasant and they can drive you back to using porn. Uh, one of the most pronounced and fairly common is what we call a flatline, which is a period of time in which you feel like your sexuality is gone. Like you have no libido, no sexual desire at all. And that can be very scary for guys who, you know, they're, they're used to masturbating once a day or a few times a week and like always having that present. And the fear of it never coming back can drive them to try to bring it back and force it back by watching porn again. But, and this is not as well studied yet as I think it will be in another couple of decades. But the way that I best understand this is that it's the body recognizing like, okay, we finally get a break from this unending 
um, orgy that we've been having for the last 10 years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so let's, let's shut down the sexual response system and just do some healing, and some repair work. And the flat line is temporary and it will end on its own if you allow it to. Usually guys find that after they get out of that flat line, that that's when they really start seeing significant benefits. Not usually lasts between two weeks to two months, but it can last for longer than a year in some cases. You know, as you're talking about this, it, um, I mean, I know that, that there's still some debate out there in the, in the um, neuroscience community about whether this is an addiction or a form of it, but it feels and sounds a lot like addiction to another substance. I mean, for me, I, you know, I dealt with this um, with alcohol and have, uh, have been sober now for almost three years. But if like, as you talk about that, these different phases and different levels of intensity, it feels, it feels very similar, man. Like, is, is that the nature of it? Like it's, this is addictive. I use addiction language. Yeah. And the definition that I use is from the American society of addiction medicine, uh, which states that it, it doesn't matter if it's a substance or a behavior addiction is a singular disorder characterized by these specific things. And of course you'll see different um, minutia in specific details. If you're addicted to alcohol versus addicted to gambling, but, um, the addiction itself is a singular disorder and other like publications like the DSM doesn't even use the word addiction at all. It's substance use disorder or alcohol use disorder, gambling disorder. Um, but yeah, that is the terminology that I use. And I think it's helpful to use the addiction terminology because it is something, it's a word that has a lot of weight to it. And no one wants to admit to themselves that they are an addict. But if you truly are an addict, then that's, I believe, an important step in healing is recognizing that, yes, this is a part of me. This is something that I will carry the rest of my life because I believe that, too, that addiction is lifelong. And that doesn't mean that it's going to be something that will control you for the rest of your life or that you're doomed to relapse. But it does mean that even though, like I've been porn free for years, that is still a dormant part of me. And if I were to say, oh, it's been years, I'm sure it's fine if I like use porn once a week or something, it'll be okay. No, that would bring that addiction back to the surface of my life very quickly. And I would spiral out of control again. And I see that in clients who like go for a year without porn and they go, oh, it's, it'll be fine if I use it again, you know, just for old time's sake. And then a month later, they have porn induced sexual dysfunction again and their behavior is completely out of control. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, it's, yeah, it sounds similar, whether we, whether they need to, we need to label it um, in the science community or not. I mean, it's, that language seems to resonate for me and sounds like a lot of your clients. So when you are working with clients, what are some of the, of the problems that they're facing? Like, are they relational? Are they, you know, more about their own mental health? Like what are, or everything in between? Uh, all of the above and more. Yeah. I'd say, you know, I see clients of, of all ages from probably 15 at the youngest, you know, with their parents, you know, reaching out to me saying, Hey, I think our son needs help to, you know, 70 years old. And some of these men have never been in a relationship before. And some of them have, have tried to be, or tried to have sex and failed like the guy did. Some have been married for decades and, you know, discovered internet porn a few years ago, and now they're unable to have sex with their wives. Um, others you know, might not have sexual dysfunction, but they 
lost their job because they were using porn at work and got caught or they uh, have just gotten to a point in their life where they look out on the world and they just see gray and the only thing that interests them is maybe pornography and, and video games and they just have no motivation to do anything with their lives and some of the people I work with are women as well. I don't, I always like to stress that in interviews like this, that it's not just a men's problem, that a lot of women out there struggle with problematic pornography use as well. And the vast majority of people I work with are men, because I think a lot of those women would rather speak to another woman. But I also work with partners and, you know, addiction to porn, like any other addiction is a family disease and you're mm. not just hurting yourself. And that's, an excuse that a lot of us tell ourselves when we're addicted. And there are a lot of rationalizations and lies that addicts tell themselves. But one of them is that, you know, it's, it's my body, it's my brain. I'm not hurting anyone but myself. But when you lose yourself in that, it takes you away from everyone close to you in your life. And when you're living a life with that secrecy and that isolation, and secrecy and isolation always go hand in hand with addiction, then you're not able to truly be present in your life. And there's no amount of segregation that you can do that will prevent the effects of your addictive behavior bleeding over into your relationships, into your career, into every aspect of your life. And when you're talking to these people, like how are you seeing this show up in their lives? Like what are the kinds of challenges they're running into? Uh, well, I think we've already touched on many of them, but some people I work with, maybe I've never tried quitting before. And that's when I most like to have that first conversation with them because I can warn them about all the pitfalls that they are probably going to have to evade. And others have been maybe trying to quit pornography for years. And they're always, you know, they tell themselves, okay, this is the time. This is the time when I'm finally going to be able to leave this behind. I just moved. I'm not going to use porn in this new house. Or mm. my first child was just born. There's no way I'm going to use porn again. A month later, they're using again and they're telling themselves another lie. And only after years, some of these guys finally decide, okay, I can't do this alone. It's time for me to seek help. And that's probably the single biggest step in the right direction that most of these people can make when they're struggling with addiction is admitting that they can't do this by themselves and they do need help and guidance. And... Um... <laughs> I mean, it's, it seems, it seems obvious, but I, I can imagine that that's hard to go and reach out. It's, there's so much, so much stigma and shame around it. Um, and it, it must be difficult for a guy to pick up the phone or, you know, jump online and send you a message just to ask for help. I mean, I can only imagine if you were working with even half a percentage point of the guys out there that, um, that needed to help you. There's no chance you'd have time for this podcast. Um, so let me, let me ask you though, cause you said you work with, with men and, and women, and I'm sure people that identify all the way across the spectrum. So is there, do you notice it? Is there a difference in, in the way that, that men, women or otherwise get addicted is, is, is there different reasons? Like what's the, what's your take on that? Uh, there are some differences I see, and all of these are generalizations, of course, because yeah. there are no firm divides in male behavior versus female behavior. But uh, yeah, men that I work with, they, they tend to be visual from the beginning. 
uh, you know, very captivated by visual imagery. Whereas a lot of women tend to start with or uh, get more caught up in uh, sexual stories, eroticism, that sort of thing. Uh, but often the women will escalate as well to uh, visual pornography. Um, some women, you know, the, just the female body can have a much shorter refractory period and be capable of more orgasms in a period of time than male body. So it can be worse in that regard for some women because they can, they can use and have orgasm after orgasm for much longer in a period of time. Uh, and also, I would say, you know, addiction itself is a shameful thing. It's difficult to admit to yourself and to others. An addiction related to sex is doubly so. And an addiction related to sex in a woman is triply so. Because, you know, for an alcoholic, there are thousands of groups, you know, around the country and around the world filled with people who have had similar struggles. Uh, there's, you know, AA, everyone knows what AA is. And not everyone knows that pornography can become addictive and there's a lot fewer resources available, even though those are growing. Uh, but most people do understand and know that most guys use porn and it's, uh, it can be understandable. But for a woman, there's still that misconception that it's a man's issue and to have to admit that you have that problem too can be even more shameful. So for anyone out there, who's listening and maybe in that situation, know that that's not the case and you're definitely not alone. It's, it's a good message, man. I mean, I, I, yeah, I have to imagine that would be even tougher to have that extra layer of stigma. Um, I want to I uh, talk for a second, if we can, about... The... Actually, sorry to interrupt, yeah. but I thought of another thing. I want. Great, man. Let um, me just make a note on my time clock here. Uh, 40 minutes... Edit. Okay, great. And about the sexual dysfunction side of things, you know, women obviously aren't going to experience porn-induced erectile dysfunction, but they can certainly develop their own sexual dysfunctions if being unable to get or maintain arousal with a partner or being unable to reach climax with a partner. And that can be due not only to the pornography, but also a physical desensitization due to the use of uh, super stimulating toys like vibration. And if you become conditioned to and reliant on a vibrating toy in addition to pornography in order to reach climax. The actual sensations of sex might not feel like much in comparison. And so I see, I work with some women who have developed that inability to reach orgasm with a partner, but similarly to the men, quitting their pornography use and their use of super simulating toys allows them to become more sensitive again and enjoy partnered sex like they want to. Well, it, it's, uh, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because it, it feels to me like, well, there, I mean, there's so much shame around sex, no matter what, um, I mean, you know, it's changing a little bit these days, but add porn and you add masturbation in there. And it's like this, you know, everyone's kind of shame alarm bells go off, including mine. Now, are you, can you, when you're working with your clients, are you able to make a distinction between like a really healthy masturbation practice versus a, you know, porn induced kind of quick climax type of payoff? Yeah. And it's not necessarily about the speed. Uh, I'm not anti-masturbation. I think that everyone can benefit from a period of time, completely abstinent, especially those of us who maybe in our adult lives have never gone more than maybe a week without an orgasm. There's a lot that we can learn about ourselves and about our bodies 
uh, by having that period of abstinence, sort of like a, a fast from food and a sexual fast. But I'm not anti-masturbation. And if people choose to have masturbation in their lives, even with pornography, I'm not going to say that that's wrong or that's bad or that's necessarily harmful. But if you think that it might be a problem, then I do recommend experimenting with quitting and seeing how that affects you. But as for porn-free masturbation, yeah, that's there are more healthful ways to do it for those who are in recovery or maybe have recovered and less helpful ways that might be more liable to be a slippery slope back to porn use. Um, and I have an article and video on my website with the guidelines for all this, but some of the key points are if you're in recovery, then you should keep your fantasy while masturbating realistic. So you're not like remembering porn or porn inspired scenes, but keeping it first person and you're not watching sex happen, you're participating in sex. And also keep it to one scene, one scenario, because switching from fantasy to fantasy is not like real life at all. You know, real, in real life, you're in one situation at one time. That's much more like using pornography, opening up many tabs and many videos. So I recommend keeping fantasy realistic, keeping it limited to one scene per session. And as far as the physical sensations go, uh, keeping it gentle, you know, lubricated, feeling as much like real sexual intimacy as possible. And that's especially important for guys who have developed porn-induced delayed ejaculation, um, which can happen where they've desensitized themselves, perhaps not only neurologically, but physically as well. If their idiosyncratic method of masturbation is perhaps more forceful or more stimulating than real sex is, they can become accustomed to that. And then real sex, they might not feel very much during. So it's important for those guys, especially to keep masturbation gentle and lubricated if uh, they choose to masturbate at all. That's a great distinction to make. I, I, I like that. And I'll, I'm going to, obviously I'm going to link up all your content in the show notes so people can go and find these, these videos and, and dig in and maybe find a, a, a better use of their internet time than, than the, <laughs> uh, Pornhub. So you talked about something just there. You talked about this idea of fantasy and, um, you know, it's, it's occurred to me and, and through some of the work that I've done, um, you know, in, in relational and sexual yoga, that there's, there's some beautiful information behind some of these impulses and desires. Like there's a, a taboo element that you can find in porn, but that, um, when you bring it in a healthy way to your relating can really open up, um, a partnership. And I'm wondering how you make distinctions between kind of that level of, a uh, of, of fantasy or desire or taboo versus a more kind of addictive or compulsive style of, of fantasy. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, a trusting, loving, committed relationship, or even not committed relationship, whatever, that exploring your desires uh, with mutual consent is a great thing. And yet there is a difference between that and following that trail of desensitization, tolerance, and escalation, we call it. You know, when you build your tolerance by using pornography in this example uh, consistently, you tend to escalate in terms of what you're looking for. Just like someone who maybe starts off drinking beer, they build their tolerance over years of regular drinking, and now they're looking for harder drinks or just greater quantity of beer. 
to get that same buzz, that same feeling. And when people like myself who escalated in pornography use, looking for new genres all the time, something more extreme, more stimulating, more shocking, and even emotions that are on the surface negative, like disgust or um, fear, can in that moment of sexual arousal, increase dopamine in the reward center, which can kick up your feeling of arousal. And guys who are really desensitized can become dependent on that. And so they might be switching from genre to genre, looking at all these things that a few years ago would have completely disgusted them. They thought would have thought, oh, I'd never be turned on by that. And there's this idea that you know, pornography can be a really good way to explore what you like and to like, see, okay, what turns me on? And to a certain extent, that can be the case. But if you're a consistent user over years and you're finding yourself like, oh, I never realized I was turned on by vomit, but now I am. Uh, it's not necessarily that that was always a part of you. You can condition yourself to become aroused by things that you never would have been aroused by without that process. So in recovery, it's important to recognize that and to give yourself to that time to heal and to rediscover what your real desires are, you know, the things that you might have been fantasizing about before ever finding porn, rather than go right into exploring maybe all of those fetishes or kinks that you developed in your pornography use, because I see some people do that and then regret it a lot. And uh, I'm not saying that any of these desires in themselves are bad or shameful, but I do recommend that people who have gone through this process give themselves the time to heal and reconnect with what they really want in real life rather than what pornography has conditioned them to become aroused by. Yeah, that's a, I love that, man. That's a, that's a really nice way to, to create that distinction around it because there, there is at some level, there's a really healthy desire for a lot of guys around some of the stuff, but I, you know, you're right. I guess if you've escalated that far, you've almost trained yourself to be just searching for the most next extreme thing. Um, just the way that someone like uh, myself would do with alcohol or other people might do with other drugs. Um, so in your, but in your work, you're, you're primarily working with people to um, help them find some, at least some kind of a healthy break from it. Like you, you talked about taking months, year, whatever, completely free from porn. Is there a point where you may be advising someone or helping someone reintegrate it in, in a healthy way, the way you discussed, or are you more like working with people that really need to not be using it at all? Among the people I work with, no, I, I never work with them to like reintegrate pornography in a healthy way because if they're, if they're working with me then they've reached the point where it's become a problem in their lives and it's caused them either addiction or sexual dysfunction in most cases or both. And if you have developed either of those things at any point in time, then using pornography again in the future is going to lead to bad outcomes. And I, I say that, of course, from an you know, anecdotal perspective, um, just seeing all the people that I have in my time working in this field. But I've, yeah, I've, I don't think I can say that I've ever seen someone who had a porn addiction or a porn-induced sexual dysfunction successfully reintegrate pornography into their life in a healthy and moderate way. Now, of course, that's a limited perspective because I'm seeing the people who have problems. Is pornography a problem for everyone who uses it is another question. And I think the answer to that is much more nuanced and a 
I'd probably say no. Uh, it's kind of like other things we've talked about, gambling and alcohol. Uh, can it destroy people's lives? Can it become a huge problem? Absolutely. Does it do that to everyone who does those things? No. Like I, I'm a social drinker. I probably drink maybe two or three times a month when I'm with friends. It never really becomes a problem. In college, I probably abused it a bit, but it didn't become an addiction. And uh, yeah, so I'm you know, a social drinker and that's not really something that I think is a problem. And someone might have a similar relationship to pornography where you know, they use it sometimes when they're, when they're single or whatever. Maybe they explore some new types of sexuality in it and see, oh, does this do anything for me? Do I like this? Do I want to try this in real life? Uh, but they should be able to go for a few months without it and it not be a problem. Like if I had to go for three months without alcohol, there would be no problem whatsoever. Uh, but if they like try that and they realize they can't or it's very difficult to go for a month without porn, then it might be more of a problem than they thought. Yeah, that's a good indicator. And and so if you if if someone is is listening to this show and and they're wondering like what's the first step? Maybe they they're not ready to work with you yet. But what should someone do, and maybe not do if they're considering creating a uh, a healthier relationship or considering um, going completely off using pornography? Like where what's the what's the entry point for someone who maybe isn't quite ready to jump on a call with you yet? I'd say educate yourself first and foremost, and you can start by getting my book, which I make available for free on my website. Just sign up to my newsletter, addicted to internetporn.com. I'll send you the PDF in your email inbox. And I wrote that back in 2014. So we've, we've learned a lot since then. There have been studies since then. And I've learned a lot as a coach since then, but all the information in there is still good foundational information. And uh, yeah, explore my website and the other resources out there. Uh, yourbrainonporn.com is the best collection of scientific research um, about this topic. And once you've educated yourself and see, you know, maybe some of the pitfalls and stories of people who have tried to go without porn and maybe fell into the flat line and uh, fell down because they were afraid that the flat line would last forever, use porn again. Now that you know about stuff like that, you can be prepared. And then, yeah, if you are curious to try out this porn-free life and see if it's for you, then maybe start with a commitment of a month or 90 days as a, as a common commitment period. If you really do have porn-induced effects, then a month might, might not be long enough to really start to see the reversal of those and the significant benefits. But the majority of people do, who, who do have porn problems do see significant improvements and benefits within 90 days. So that can be a good period of time to try this out. And, you know, if you want to, you can also try abstaining from masturbation during that time, or you can decide just to continue to masturbate porn free to realistic fantasies, but uh, cut out the porn and see how that affects you. Maybe experiment after that experiment with complete abstinence for a month or so, see what that feels like. You know, it's all, it's, it's not like with, fasting from food you know, we don't need an orgasm or sexual stimulation to stay alive it's i would not say that it's dangerous to your health to go for 30 days without an orgasm unless you have some you know medical condition that makes it such but um, for most of us it's perfectly fine there are people who go for years and years without orgasm and you're not it's not a use it or lose it situation either you're not going to lose your ability to have sex if you don't have an orgasm for a period of time so we can take that fear off your, off your list. If you're wondering, <laughs> <We're> like, 
will I, if yeah. I lose it, will I, will I lose it forever? Um, any, any pitfalls to avoid if someone is, is thinking about embarking on this porn free path? Uh, yeah, there's a ton of pitfalls to avoid. Uh, one of the more common ones I would say is getting caught in the intermittent use cycle. Uh, uh, and that means that you maybe be abstinent for a significant period of time, weeks or months, and then use again, and then be abstinent for a period of time and then use again. And there are two types of people who tend to get caught in that cycle. Uh, religious users who maybe have moral qualms about using. So they're like, oh, I'm not going to use this again. I go for a while without, but then they'll, they'll give into temptation and use. And people who have discovered porn has caused a problem in my life. I need to quit but they're addicted. So they get caught in that pin binge purge cycle. And the danger of that is that, and we've seen this with other addictions to substances as well, that you're training your brain to expect that no matter how long you go without it, it's coming back. So comparing two different people, one, and they're both like exactly the same one who decides, okay, I'm never using porn again. And they do that, uh, they're going to heal a lot more quickly than the same person who got caught in that binge purge cycle for three years and then quit permanently. Their healing process is going to take quite a bit longer just because now they've trained themselves that even if I go for three months without, we should hold on to this conditioning for pornography because it's coming back just like it has in the past. Is there any kind of tech that can help? Like, is there a way to like block your browser or oh, like, yeah. yeah, there's, so there is, there's, there are ways to do it um, from Definitely. a technology perspective. Uh, the one that, I mean, there's tons of options out there. The one that I use most often and recommend most often is called Covenant Eyes and it's an accountability software. So it has a filter blocker function. It'll block pornographic websites, but its main feature is accountability. So you can install this software on all your devices and then choose people in your life who you trust as accountability partners. And you know, I'm often the first accountability partner for a lot of my clients, but I usually recommend that they find people in their personal life to fill that role as well. And the software, what it does is it'll take a screenshot of what's on your screen every minute or so and use an algorithm to determine if that's sexual or pornographic. And if it thinks that it is, it will send that image blurred in a report to your accountability partners. So I can I can look at my report for Teddy and see like, okay, how's Teddy doing? Oh, it looks like he might be using porn. I'm going to give him a call. Hey, Teddy, how you doing? I saw this on your report. And that can not only bring that accountability into your life, but also take away that feeling that what you do in this moment online is completely in secret and in isolation. And that can do a lot to take away the, the temptation to do something that you know you're going to regret. And uh, like I that was part of my healing process too, is using that. And I still have it installed on all my devices. And it's not that I think if I took it off, I would like immediately relapse, but I just like having it there. I like knowing that, um, that I'm not alone when I'm using these devices. And my accountability partners are my best friend and my sister and my mother. So definitely good motivation not to look at anything that would send them a report I would regret. That's a... Uh... Um, I, I, depending on the relationship you have with your family, I could imagine that could be either really healing or really shameful, but, um, yeah, it feels like, I mean, at least in, and in my experience of working with men, like part of the role of a good accountability partner in that 
is to do what you just said, which is to be curious and that check in as opposed to like the shame or yeah. the like, oh, come on, man, you can do better than that. Um, yeah, usually I wouldn't recommend if you're like in a marriage or a partnership that your partner be one of those accountability partners <laughs> because that can sort of set up a like prison guard and prisoner dynamic in your relationship, which usually doesn't lead to good places. And so, yeah, it's important to have a wide net of support. You know, it's not, if you're recovering from this in a relationship, you're both going to need support systems that are separate from each other. And that's one thing that I strive to do is take away the shame from this so that people aren't struggling with this alone or just in, in a relationship, but that they can open up and sort of air out all of that dirty laundry. And when you shine some light on this thing that you've kept in the darkness for so long, that can be one of the biggest steps forward toward healing. And, and with that step, the step of, uh, um, of coming clean, as it were, if, if a, I know a couple can, can get through that, do you also recommend like you would in 12 step, like some kind of reconciliation process around that? Uh, yeah, it really depends on the specific situation uh, for someone who's like single and maybe they don't really have those relationships where they feel like they've really caused someone harm and damage, but it's really just with themselves, then maybe not. Uh, if you are in a relationship, then often that is part of the process. One great book that I recommend to couples who are going through this together is uh, Love You, Hate the Porn, Healing a Relationship Damaged by Virtual Infidelity. Long title, I know, but it's a great book. And you know, often when there is trauma, in these situations and there is a lot of betrayal trauma often in relationships where usually the wife but you know sometimes the, the husband or the other partner or whatever discovers that their partner has been engaging in all this sexual activity ex that excludes them and in secret there is this sense of betrayal and the definition of cheating that i go by is any activity that you are keeping secret from your partner because you know that they would not approve or that it would hurt them. And especially sexual or romantic, but even, even not. And oftentimes an addict will rationalize themselves. Oh, it's not cheating. It's just, just pornography. Everyone looks at porn. It doesn't mean anything, but their partner might not feel that way at all. And there can be a lot of betrayal trauma there that she or he might need help. Uh, to work through and a lot of time to work through. So therapy can definitely be a powerful tool when you find the right therapist uh, in these situations. And I want to leave that with a message of hope because I have seen couples through that process of recovery get to a place where they are closer and more loving with each other and more trusting of each other than ever before. And recovery can be really good for that. And it can actually lead to a much stronger bond than you had ever before. Uh, things will never be the same as they were before the discovery, but that's a good thing because even though on the surface it looked like things were working, really it was dysfunctional underneath. I've also seen this process lead to divorces and the end of relationships. And yeah, it can go either way, but if you're in a relationship right now and wondering, like, should I leave him? Then know that there is hope. And you know, when a woman approaches me and asks, like, is there hope for my partner? He's addicted to porn. Can he heal? The one thing that I tell them to look for is, well, like, does he want to heal for himself? 
or is he just like saying, oh yeah, I'm going to quit to mollify you because you can never make an addict recover. It has to come from within. There has to be that internal desire that I'm sick of this life. I'm sick of this process. I want out. I might not know how to get there yet, but I have that burning desire within me for a life free from alcohol or porn or whatever it is. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there with the right help and guidance. That's, that's a beautiful message of hope. Um, and you've got, I know you've got a lot of success stories in your clients and in yourself, um, you know, having been your own uh, patient zero. Um, but I mean, you're at this point, you've been, you've been in this, well, you've been in this journey since you were nine years old, but you, you've been um, on this mission to heal other people for many years. And I'm curious, like when you look at the bigger landscape of, of porn and this, the problem of it, uh, or where it becomes problematic, like, what do you, is there hope for us culturally around porn? Or are we kind of destined just to keep using more and more and more of it? Well, um, I can tell you that 2020 statistically has been a good year if you are the owner of a pornography website because traffic yeah. has gone way up. Uh, people are, when they're isolated, cut off from each other, maybe not working. Uh, yeah, porn use tends to go up because it's something that, like I said before, can be an emotional coping mechanism. Uh, so yeah, we certainly aren't out of the woods, but the more education that we can have that pornography can cause these problems. You know, it's much like cigarettes. It's a good uh, thing to compare it to in the past. It used to be much more ubiquitous than it is now. Still, a lot of people smoke. It's a big business. But everybody knows that smoking cigarettes can cause lung cancer um, and other diseases, other disorders. And I'd like to get to the point where just like everyone knows, oh, oh yeah, if you use too much porn, you can get a sexual dysfunction. And that of course, needs to be something that we learn how to educate youth about too, because people are seeing porn for the first time when they're 10 years old, 13 years old. They need to be prepared to understand that there are these images and these videos out there, uh, what that means for them, what it can lead to. And of course, it has to start as well with sexual education so they can learn what a, a healthy relationship what looks like, what healthy sex looks like. And looking at pornography is not a good way to learn them. Yeah. I, yeah, that, that seems like the wrong, the wrong message, <laughs> taking us back to the, you know, the, the high school scene that you, you painted for us. Um, so listen, man, I, I'd love to have another couple hours to talk to you, but um, that is not my, <laughs> yeah, I think not we're my over current, an hour now. current format, but where do um, people go to find out about your, your work and your story and, and all the great things you're doing in the world. I go to my website, addicted to internet porn.com. And you'll find there, you can get free access to my book as a PDF, all the videos I've made. I make, make a ton of videos and articles. I, I often take stories from clients or people who just reach out to me and share their story anonymously. And I work from that and uh, share my advice publicly so that people who are in that similar situation can learn as well. And if you'd like personal help, you can find ways to work with me on my website as well. And I also run a support and discussion group for people who are going through these types of issues. It's, it's great, man. I mean, even just seeing the people that are sharing on your YouTube videos and there's, and your you know, other content, I haven't obviously been inside your groups, but 
it feels like you've really struck the right chord with people and your story seems like it's the, the medium through which you've reached people. Um, and so thank you for sharing it today and for sharing it out in the world. I, I know there's a lot of guys that, and, uh, and women and, and other listening to this that are going to take a lot away from it. So I'll make sure they can find you as easily as possible. Um, and just finally, thank you for doing the work you're doing in the world. Um, this, I'm sure this is not a path to riches for you. And so, but it's a beautiful healing um, mission that you're on and, and thank you for doing it. Yeah. I'd rather be doing something that I, I feel like can make a difference in people's lives than something that's guaranteed financial return. And thank you for the opportunity to come on and talk about this. All right, man. Well, we'll, uh, we'll make sure this episode gets up as soon as possible. And I can't wait to hear the final cut. <laughs> Me too. All right. Thanks, man. There you go. And you thought you knew everything there was to know about internet porn. All right. That's the end of the episode with Noah Church. If you would like to find out more about Noah and his work, you can go to his website, addictedtointernetporn.com. He's got a ton of free resources there for anyone, whether you think you have a problem, you have a friend who has a problem, or you are curious about the work he's doing or want to talk more to him, uh, go check him out. He's just doing a great service for the planet right now. All right, that's it for episode five. Again, like I say every time, I do read your reviews. I appreciate them. Uh, I love making this podcast, and if you're enjoying it, please do let me know by leaving me a rating, or you can always leave comments at my website, travisstreb.com. That's it for now. See you next time for Season 3, Episode 6. Bye.